Pray with me. Uh, repeat after I pray. Dear God, thank you for your word and for Jesus, who is guiding us in his journey so that we might follow him on the journey that he has for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are many people in our world who actually think that living in sin is the better way to live. They think that being a sinner is a good thing. And in fact, many songs have been written about this theme. The Dixie Chicks wrote a song called Sin Wagon. And there was a review of this song, and the review said this. This 1999 country song is so rip-roaring fun that it may, might make you want to sin. The narrator is a woman whose time has been wasted, being way too nurturing to a runaround man. Now she has drawn the line. She has found her a red dress, low cut, no doubt, and has taken up drinking. She set her sights on some serious mattress dancing, hitching a ride to that sin wagon. Very popular song. You might remember, some of you, way back when, 1977, Billy Joel wrote a song called Only the Good Die Young. And he wrote these words. They say there's a heaven for those who will wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. You know that only the good die young. In fact, they even made a t-shirt out of that. It's surprising, but there are many in our world who think that living a sinful life is the better way to live. There are many who believe that following God, that following God's ways, that following what the Bible teaches is not a good thing. Now, I've talked about this before. We need to understand this philosophy. We need to understand this thinking as we encounter a world out there, as we try to share our faith, live our faith, tell our story, share the gospel, as we try to do this to those who do not know Jesus, we have to understand that they don't even care about what is sin and what is not. Right? As Billy, Billy Joel says, the sinners are much more fun. That's their frame of mind. That is their thinking. And this is the world that we are encountering. So first, we must understand that. Second, we need to take every opportunity we have to walk alongside people, build a relationship, and help them in some way to understand that sinning is not the best way to live, that sinning is not good, especially long-term, especially for their eternity. And third, we need to help them understand that Jesus is the solution to all of life's problems, especially our sinfulness. So this morning, as we encounter Matthew chapter 9, we are going to see what Jesus thinks of sin and sinners and what he calls us to do about it. So we're continuing here in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is continuing to call disciples to himself, call people to himself. And in the beginning of this chapter, Jesus is walking along and he encounters Matthew. Now, Matthew is a tax collector. And most of you probably know that back then, tax collectors were not popular people. In fact, they were despised because they worked with the Romans to not only collect taxes from the people, 
but to extort even more money from the people, as much money as they could, and they would keep the excess. And so tax collectors were very rich, very well off, but not liked in any way. See, one of the wonderful characteristics of God that we see in Jesus is that when Jesus comes upon a man or a woman, he doesn't look at who they are right then. He doesn't see them for the lifestyle that they're living. He looks at them and he sees who they could become if they follow Jesus. And so Jesus looks at Matthew and he calls Matthew to follow him. Matthew 9.9 says, oh, I can't see it, so I'll have to read it from here. (laughs) The banner. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. See, this was a big deal for Matthew to leave his tax collector's booth. He was living a life where he was full of rich of money, right? He had all this money to do whatever he wanted. And for him to leave that lifestyle meant for him to leave what that money afforded him and go to a lifestyle where he was not going to have much money at all. We can imagine that Matthew was not happy with his life. He was not happy with cheating people out of money. He was not happy about being despised by others. Jesus called, and the scripture tells us, Matthew followed. Jesus called, and Matthew followed. The next thing we know, Jesus is having dinner at Matthew's house, but not just with Matthew, with his family, with his friends. We see in Matthew 9.10, read with me, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. It is right after being saved that we actually have the most connection with people who do not know Jesus. When you see the word sinners, you might say, well, we're all sinners, aren't we? But the, the term in, used in this way refers to those who do not know that they're lost, people who do not know Jesus, people who are living a life of sin and don't even realize that they're walking different from God's will for their life. And so whenever you, in this talk this morning, whenever you hear the word sinners, it's referring to those who do not know Jesus. See, it would be like you and me. Let's say we, were, we met someone who was a drug addict, and we, we led them to Jesus, to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And they became saved, and they changed their life. And they invited us to dinner, and we went to dinner at their house. And when we got there, all their, their drug addict friends were at this dinner. Might be a little uncomfortable. You might not exactly know what to talk about with these other people. You might not be in an environment where you feel comfortable, right? You're around all these sinners, if you will. And that's what's going on here. Jesus comes to Matthew's house, and all of his tax collector friends who are sinners, right? Not walking with Jesus, are there in Jesus' midst. And then we read in Matthew 11 and 12, again, whenever you see yellow, please read with me. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've heard many stories about people, usually men, who get sick 
And what do they do? They don't go to the doctor, right? I won't ask men for you to raise your hand if you don't go to the doctor when you get sick. I bet many of you would say, oh, no, I don't get sick. They either tough it out, right? You've heard the phrase, tough it out like a man, right? Or they, they think, if I pretend that I'm not sick, then I won't be sick, right? And they just, they just try to endure being sick. And it's miserable, right? Instead, they could have gone to the doctor, gotten some medication, gotten some help, and gotten healthier quicker, right? Why do we go through that pain of not going to the doctor? See, this is what Jesus is saying. You have the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They didn't think they were sick. They didn't think they needed saving. So Jesus isn't reaching out to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders. He's going to those who know that they are lost in their sin. He's going to those who know that they need saving, who know that their lives are not what they should be, willing to admit that they are sick, that they have sin in their life, that they can't do anything about. Jesus doesn't set up a, a sign that, that says, we'll heal the sick, right? He goes to where the sick are. That is a, a great testimony, a great example for us. We could easily sit in our church here and we can say, well, the sinners need to come here, right? And then when they come, we'll, we'll minister to them, we'll talk to them, we'll, we'll share the gospel with them. No, we need to follow the example of Jesus. We need to go where those who do not know Jesus are. We need to be willing to share the gospel, to share our story whenever we encounter those who don't know Jesus. That may be in your neighborhood, that may be at your job, that may be at your, your gym or whatever. God will lead you to the people he wants you to minister to. You just need to be ready for that opportunity. So I encourage you, I challenge you to think of one or two names as we head into 2020, even to end of 2019, one or two names that God has put on your heart, put in your mind to say, these are the two people, the one or two people that I want to build a relationship with, to walk alongside, to love, to encourage, to support, and hopefully if the opportunity arises, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. I hope that you can have at least one name in your mind of someone who you want to be able to tell them about Jesus. See, the Pharisees thought that looking holy and dressing holy and acting holy and praying loudly would make them seem holy, right? But it didn't. They were very lost. And Jesus challenged them many times about how they were lost. They didn't understand that only God is holy and that salvation comes only through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, come to save the people from their sins. The gospel is a call to repentance, a call, a call to change our minds and to change our ways. We have to admit that we have a sickness and that sickness is called sin and it leads us to do things that we don't want to do. It leads us to things that are not beneficial for our lives. It leads us away from heaven and Jesus. We need to repent and receive forgiveness. And then we need to point others to that great physician who is Jesus. Help them understand that they are sick. 
It'd be like someone that you were standing there and someone had this big old wart on their nose, right? Big old wart. And it's hard, and you're talking to them, you're, it's hard not to look at it, right? You're like, um, how are you doing today? You know, you're trying not to look at it, right? Because it's just so big. But it's a wart, and it can be dealt with, right? And you can maybe just tell them, you know, that wart on your nose, you know, you get to know them long enough so finally you can say it to them, right? Because for a long time you can't say that to them, right? Because that would be rude, right? So you don't say it to them, but finally you get to close enough to them and say, well, you know, you have, a, you have a wart on your nose, and you know the doctor can remove that. And the person responds to you like, what wart? I don't have a wart on my nose, right? They ignore what's right there in front of them, and they don't think that they need for it to be helped. We need to, to get to that place where we can help people say, see, you have sin in your life, and that sin is not beneficial. And Jesus can take care of that for you. Well, then we jump to verse 27, and it says, well, Jesus is walking along, right? And he comes along the people, and he, he hears these, these words. Two blind men were following him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. See, son of David, if you remember back to Matthew chapter 1, that was a, a number of weeks ago, but Matthew chapter 1, where Matthew went through the genealogy, right? He, he included the genealogy in his gospel because he wanted us to understand that the Messiah was to come from the line of David, right? And it showed very clearly that Jesus came from the line of David. This was significant. And so when these blind men were calling out, have mercy on us, son of David, they were acknowledging that they believed Jesus to be the Messiah, the one who was to come and save his people from their sins, the one who had the power of God within him, for he was God in the flesh. These blind men believed that Jesus could heal them if he chose to do it. He was in the line of David. The power of God was present upon him and in his life. It's interesting that shortly after Jesus is talking about showing mercy, that here Jesus is asked to show mercy to these blind men. In fact, just the fact that he stopped and gave the blind men his time was merciful, right? Jesus was all-powerful. He was God in the flesh. He could do whatever he wanted. He didn't have to stop for anyone, right? But he did because he cared about people. He cared about who people were and what they were going through in their life. And so he stopped and he gave them his time. Jesus, Son of God, the second person of, Trinity, of the Trinity, encountered these blind men. And so he challenges them in response to what they ask of him. Verse 28 and 29. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done. Jesus had mercy. He stopped. He was talking to them. But did they have faith? He was letting them know that if you truly believe that I could do this, then it will be done. My power will be worked out in your life. And that is so true in our life. Do we have the faith to believe that Jesus will do what we ask him to do? How often do we, we ask it, but in the back of our mind we think, that's pretty big. I don't know if Jesus can do that. I couldn't do it, right? And we limit God because we know that we ourselves can't do it. Jesus says, do you have faith? Do you believe that I can do this? 
And they say, we do believe. And we see that they did have faith because the scripture tells us that they were healed. God's work is done in and through our lives by faith. It is not for your convenience. It's not for your power. It's not for your glory. It's not for your benefit. It is done by God for his glory through the faith that you and I exhibit. It is by faith. This is a lesson we must learn. We must exhibit faith if God is going to work in and through our lives. If we want to see our church grow, then we have to have faith. If we want to see people come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord, we have to have faith. When you go out and you share your story, do you truly believe that someone's going to be saved? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has the power to do that? When you're talking to someone about Jesus, do you believe that it's actually going to make a difference in their lives? That's what Jesus is calling us to do, to have faith that he will do what he tells us he will do and what we believe he wants us to do. Faith to share the Gospels. Faith to see people become Christians. Faith to see lives change. Faith to see people in our church become leaders in our church. Faith to see God's work in our world because of your faith and my faith and the faith of our church. How exciting it is when we see God work in and through our lives because we have faith in Christ. Matthew 9.34, But the Pharisee said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. See, you've got to understand right here that the Pharisees were losing the attention of the people, right? They felt like they were losing their authority. They were upset with Jesus. They had seen Jesus come, and they had, he had called Matthew a tax collector, and he had saved his life. And he had healed these blind men, and he was talking about being merciful, right? And he's saying... What are we going to do about this? How are we going to encounter this? So they say, you know what? Let's tell lies about him, right? If we tell lies and we get people to believe these lies, then we'll discount anything he says, right? People won't want to listen to him. And so they tell this lie. It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons, right? They wanted to scare him. He's from Satan. His power is from Satan. He's doing a dark and evil work. Don't follow Jesus. Don't believe Jesus. But when we turn to Jesus and when we look at the scriptures and when we open our hearts and we open our minds, we realize that Jesus is not from Satan. Jesus is not doing works by the prince of demons. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is love bestowed onto this world. Jesus has the power to change lives so that people might come to know him and become the person that they were created to be. Remember Matthew? He wasn't doing the work that God wanted him to do. And when he followed Jesus, he was. That is the call for you and me. And how many of the people around you do you look at and say, if only they knew Jesus, how amazing their life would be. What a different person they would be. You probably experienced that in people's lives, right? Someone's changed. They accepted Jesus. They come to know Jesus. And then you look at them, you're like, wow, that is an amazing person. Look at the, the characteristics, look at the, the, the capabilities, look at the things that God is doing in their life because they are following him. 
we have an amazing message to tell. Well, let me give you some statistics. 2018, it was recorded that there are 327.2 million people in the United States. That's a lot of people, right? It was reported that 37 to 39% of Americans are estimated to go to church once a week. Okay, so that's somewhere around 121 to 127 and a half million people a week are going to church, okay? But while that sounds like a lot, that leaves 240 million people say that they are Christians, okay? But 120 million people then are not going to church regularly. Okay, we're just throwing out some statistics, right? So there's a, at least 120 million people who are not going to church regularly that say they are Christians, okay? So that's just Christians, 120 million people who say they're Christians, but they aren't going to church, okay? So that's, that's part of it. Even more, we realize that there are so many people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. There's probably about 87 million people, at least, in the United States who are not Christians. I mean, who at least don't even claim to be Christians. I mean, there's many who claim to be Christians, but their lives do not show that they are followers of Christ. But there's at least, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt, there's at least 87 million people in, our, in the United States who are not Christians, who are not followers of Jesus Christ. Would you say that that's a big harvest? 87 million people? I think that's a pretty big harvest, right? 87 million people. That's a big harvest. We read in Matthew 9, 37. Read it with me. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is big. The harvest is huge. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It's not just that there's not a lot of Christians. There's a lot of Christians who aren't even sharing the gospel story. Let me give you some more statistics. 80% of those who attend church once or more times a month believe that they have a personal responsibility to share their faith, okay? 80% of people who go to church fairly regularly once a month say, yeah, I have a personal responsibility to share my faith. But only 39% of those people actually share their faith in any form, okay? So that's a challenge. We have this huge harvest, this huge harvest that Jesus says, I care about these people so much that I went to the cross and I died so that they could be saved. Now, guess what? Now it's your turn. He hands off the baton and he says, I'm going back to heaven. I'm calling on you. And your call, my call, the church's call is to what? Share the gospel. See, that's the vision of our church. The vision of our church, you saw that up on the, the screen. Uh, Carolyn put that early, uh, up earlier. Matthew 28, 19. Go and make disciples. That is our charge. Over all other things, that is what we should be concerned about. Go and make disciples. That's what your life should be about. That's what my life about should be about. That's what our church should be about. If you want to know, is our church doing the, the job that God calls us to do, the answer to that question is, are we making disciples? Which starts with leading people to Jesus and then helping them grow in their faith. 
I think we need to do a better job of that. I think we need to be a little bit more motivated to do that. Because that is the call on our life. That is our, our, our main purpose, right? We have two, two purposes. One is to love God, and as we get filled in that, with the Spirit of God and the love of God and the relationship with God, then we are prepared to go out into the world and preach the gospel, to make disciples, to love one another, right? That is our call. That is our call. But the challenge is, are we willing to accept that call? What are we going to do about it? Matthew 9, 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So first, we're to pray, right? Ask the Lord of harvest to pray. Our first task is to pray. Pray for non-believers, for their hearts to be open, for them to be willing to have a conversation, for them to, to acknowledge that maybe they have sin in their life and maybe they can't save themselves, that maybe there's a way other than what they've ever thought about, that Jesus is the truth and the way and the life. Maybe they are willing to hear that message. Pray for non-believers and pray for opportunities. But then even more, we need to, to pray for those of us who are willing to go out into the harvest field. Paul says this in Colossians 4.3, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. What else are we to pray for? We're to pray for those who are going out. Pray for one another. We're to, you should be sharing with someone. You know, pray for me. I'm going to go talk to Bob, okay? And will you pray for me while I talk to Bob? And I know that Greg is praying for me when I'm going out and I'm meeting with Bob this week. We should be telling one another who we're going to be sharing with, who we're building relationships with. We should share that with each other. We should pray for one another that we can proclaim the mystery of Christ. That was Paul's mission, right? Everything he did about that. You want to see a changed life, right? You remember where Paul was before? Right? He, was, he was persecuting and killing Christians. Next thing you know, he's saved and now he's making Christians, right? Making disciples. That was his purpose. He understood he was so far off what he was supposed to be doing. And when he found Jesus, his life changed completely. Pray for more workers. I loved, uh, if you were here a few weeks ago, Pastor Ricardo and Pastora Erica were up here. Uh, Taste of Missions, Pastora Erica shares her stories. Next morning, Pastor Ricardo shared their stories. And what amazing stories, right? Going into the, the drug rehab and, and sharing the gospel and seeing people come to faith. And going into the prison and preaching the gospel and seeing people come to faith. I loved how Pastor Ricardo told me, he said, you know, the warden loves me. I can do almost anything I want in, in the prison because I am making his job easier. All these people are becoming Christians and they're becoming these model citizens in prison. My job's easy, the warden says, because they're all becoming Christians. But not only that, when they get out, they come to his church. These, these people who have been come out of drug rehab and, and have come out of the prison, they're in his church. He told me that 50% of his church is made up of the people from the prisons and from the drug rehab in their families. But it doesn't stop there. Remember what they said? They're going back into the drug rehab. Those who came out of drug rehab are going back in and preaching the gospel. And those who came out of the prison are going back in the prisons and they're preaching the gospel. Why? Because they know that that is the call in their life, to go and make disciples. 
That's what we're called to do, to make disciples so that they can be discipled and ultimately they can go and make disciples. That is the call that we have. It's pretty simple, but it's pretty profound. When Leonardo da Vinci thought he was finished with his great work of art, The the Last Supper, he asked a friend for a critique, and his friend looked at the painting, and he, he heaped praise upon it. He said, I especially like the wine cup in Jesus' hand. Well, Leonardo da Vinci didn't like that comment. He basically said, nothing should distract one's attention from the Lord. Look closely. Do you see a cup in Jesus' hand? He removed the cup because he didn't want there to be any other focus than Jesus, who's at the center of this painting. And that's true for our life, right? Nothing should distract us from our relationship with Jesus. And nothing should distract us from the call that Jesus has in our life to go and make disciples, to lead them to the one who can heal them of their spiritual sickness and remove their sin and bring them to salvation so that they can go and make disciples as well. Let us pray.